Hope everyone's having a lovely Monday so far. And of course, since it is the first day of the week, please to welcome to the show, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, as always, for the time. So uh, let's start with the subject of religious gatherings. So police in Chilliwack say it has recommended charges against three churches that have held in-person worship, which, of course, is in direct contradiction to provincial health orders. RCMP say an investigation began last weekend, the weekend before this past one, after receiving reports that three separate churches were holding in-person congregation services. And after the investigation, well, it says they are now recommending charges against these churches, although I have not seen what those charges might actually be at this time. So, Kyla, I just kind of wanted to start there. What kinds of charges could be laid against these churches? Under the Provincial Health Act, um, there are provisions for offenses, uh, so provincial offenses, so worse than a traffic ticket, uh, less than a criminal charge, um, for anybody who violates provincial health orders. Um, they're very, very rarely used because there would have to be a circumstance that would justify a provincial health order and then a significant breach of the order. And so it's these types of charges that are what uh, are being considered by Crown Council right now against these churches. So how how much, you know, we, we know there's fines on the table that can be levied, right, if, if people are not following the COVID-19 rules. I guess, how does having charges laid uh, maybe send a bit of a, a stricter message than just you know, playing fines. It's more of a deterrent. Um, there's the potential with these charges for uh, periods of imprisonment to be imposed. So the people who are at the churches that are organizing these events that are in defiance of the rules uh, could ultimately be jailed as a result of it. Um, it also allows for much more substantial fines than the fines that are imposed under the, um, the ticketing system that we've developed. So organizers right now under the ticketing system see maximum fines of $2,000. Um, under this system, the fines can be much more substantial than that. Is there anything else that can be kind of done in the interim as well? I mean, when, when charges are pending, I suppose, is there any other action police could take? Like, say, you know, next Sunday they decided they still wanted to have another service for some weird reason that, you know, police could prevent that from happening? Or is there anything that can, that can be done in the interim outside of waiting for the, the court process? Yes, by using the charges approach, police can also, police or the, uh, or the Crown or the court, um, can impose conditions. Um, so similar to being on bail, uh, that can be done for provincial offenses as well. So you can see the, the organizers of the events at the churches um, per, perhaps being barred from coming within a certain uh, number of meters of the churches, um, be barred from communicating with individuals associated to the churches. Um, those types of restrictions can be put in place under bail conditions that would uh, prohibit activities that would lead to further breaching of the orders. It could potentially there be a doubling down here as well? Like, obviously, the charges are being recommended at this time or being considered. Can you still fine people on top of that under the provincial health orders? No, there's a rule in uh, in Canadian law against double jeopardy. So essentially, you can't be, be tried okay. and convicted twice of the same offense. And if there are you know, separate offenses that would cover the same conduct, um, that uh, that falls within the definition of, of that rule. And I guess with this process kind of playing out now at this stage, would this, um, obviously it would set a, a precedent here for kind of what, uh, you know, religious gatherings, really any gatherings, I guess it doesn't have to be specific to 
religion, but uh, what they would be allowed to, to be charged with if they are found to be uh, ignoring provincial health rules. Um, but uh, does this pay, make it easier, I guess, for law enforcement if they see these types of issues now that there is some, some other legal action taking place here in relation to Chilliwack that outside of these communities, then, you know, the, the process maybe becomes a little easier to lay charges for police? Oh, absolutely. As, as soon as, you know, one person has taken that step to, to lay charges or one, one police organization has done it, it gives more confidence to other police organizations, especially in smaller communities that don't have as many resources as the lower mainland, that they too can do the same thing and that they won't have to worry about a backlash. On the other hand, I have concerns with the way that uh, laying charges actually creates martyrs out of the people who are um, operating these church services. You know, historically, we've seen, you know, people who, who deviate from uh, the religious majority being jailed for their differing views. I can see that if something like jail time or if, if significant penalties were imposed even in even strenuous bail conditions, that this would only in, increase the problem because the community that's attending the churches and the community that's wanting these services would perceive those that are being charged as, as martyrs for their cause. Interesting. I think that's about all I have on that, um, but uh, hopefully they learn from, from this uh, mistake, I guess, at this point in time and, and aren't continuing to hold these gatherings, but we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. Um, probably be pretty foolish to, to continue doing that if they were to. Uh, I found an interesting story here. I thought it was interesting anyway, um, about a woman who had her application for the use of her dead husband's sperm to make an embryo denied. Um, I thought it was interesting in the sense that I've never really thought about this potential process, right? If, if two um, people, a, a husband and wife or whoever, is uh, kind of in that process of thinking maybe they want children and then someone unfortunately passes prior to um, the ability to conceive or even maybe the, the intent to, to actually follow through with having a child, um, you know, comes to fruition. Um, but this, you know, if, if there is no written consent, I guess it just sounds to me in this particular case that you're kind of out of luck. Like, if you don't have permission from the deceased individual to use their reproductive um, material, then then there's nothing you can really do about it. It is uh, it is surprising because you would think that as a, a deceased person, you don't have much of an interest in the privacy or in the you know the use of uh, any of your reproductive material, and you don't have much of an interest in what happens to it when it's harvested from your body. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, any obligations that you would have insofar as as parenting obligations, child support, uh, that type of thing, those don't exist because you're deceased. So it's hard to see why a person would have any legal right um, in their estate to say that their genetic material couldn't be used for this purpose, but the court did conclude that they did. And I, I think ultimately this case is a, a bit of a win for an expansion of, of the privacy interest of the individual um, beyond the bounds that we ordinarily consider. This is probably a, a, a learning opportunity then for a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, if, if this is something you are considering, then, uh, you know, God forbid something were to happen, you should make sure you have it down in writing, right? I guess it's the same as, as having a will. You can never have one too early, I suppose. 
Well, certainly for wills and estates lawyers, um, it's definitely a term you would want to put or, or make sure to cover off in the will. What use, if any, can be made of your genetic material once you're uh, once you're deceased, and whether any harvesting of your reproductive material can be done um, to allow you to have children. But if, if you are married and you're trying to have kids, or you're in a relationship and you're trying to have kids, you know, make sure that you that you get that in writing um, and consult with a lawyer who deals with estates law to make sure that 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 written agreement is legally valid. Unauthorized practitioners, the Law Society of BC has taken steps to safeguard the public against the risks presented by some who misrepresent themselves as lawyers and from those who, without authorization, are offering unregulated and uninsured legal services to the public. There were three specific cases from June 23rd through November 26th um, that the Law Society has kind of taken control of. How common is this issue of people who, you know, are not lawyers but continuing to provide legal advice that they probably shouldn't be? Is this a real issue here in BC? It's it's more of an issue than I think people realize. And, I, I mean, in many instances of, of so-called unauthorized practice, it's usually somebody whose heart's in the right place, who's trying to help a family member who's maybe having difficulty um, navigating the legal system, but ultimately does damage to their case. And what the Law Society is concerned about with unauthorized practice is the risk to the public. If you're getting your legal advice from somebody who's not a lawyer and that advice is wrong, um, there's no recourse for you. You can't do anything because there's, you know, you, there's no professional indemnification insurance like lawyers are required to have mm-hmm. um, and the but the bigger concern and this is rare but it does happen are the people who hold themselves out as lawyers who take money from people knowing that they're not going to represent them knowing that they can't represent them and are essentially operating very sophisticated frauds so I guess what what is your advice to, to people out there who maybe have that that concern that um, you know the person that they've had hired or maybe it's a family member like you mentioned who's just providing some advice to them and, and now they get worried about uh, you know potentially missteps in their case as a result of this I guess, what, I guess what would be your advice to people out there who are looking for some legal advice and maybe just don't know where to turn? Well, I mean, I think you have to think of hiring a lawyer much like you think of dealing with a medical issue or even more like dealing with a dental problem. You know, if you've got a, a pain in your tooth, you don't ask your cousin um, for what what advice he has to deal with your tooth pain, um, especially if, you know, his suggestion is take some Tylenol and that's not making it go away completely. That's just alleviating the pain. Um, the same thing with a lawyer. You know, if you have an issue, phone a lawyer. There are plenty of, of, of affordable lawyers in British Columbia. I think a lot of people have this perception that lawyers are expensive and inaccessible, and that's not true. Most lawyers will take your call and give you initial advice for free over the phone. There are plenty of, of pro bono legal clinics available to people, um, and and somebody will, will be there to help you and be available to help you and will be within your price range. Kyla, great advice. Thank you so much for this. Always appreciate the time. Have a great rest of your Monday. Thank you for having me. All right, there is Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Always enjoy having Kyla on.